This is the Faithful Christian Podcast, a podcast that hopes to encourage you in your walk and your love for our Lord Jesus Christ. During this time that it seems very unpopular to stand for the truth, we hope to be your go-to resource to encourage you to stand for what is true and right according to God's word. Let's go on this journey together. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us once again. Welcome back to Faithful Christian. My name is Christian, and today we have um, one of my favorite people in the world on with us. Um, so when I met in college, my freshman year, and we have been tight ever since. Amadis Watson, thanks for joining Amadis. Hey, hi guys. Yes, yeah. like Christian said, I've known him since we were 18, we're 27, 26 now, and he's a solid dude. I'm super, super grateful for him just because um, he's faithful in the faith. There's people who we know already who've walked away or just, yeah, have walked away in oh. that, that eight years. And so I appreciate that he loves the Lord and he runs hard. Thanks, Alma. Well, as you know, it's not easy all the time, but yeah, <laughs> it's well worth it. You know, it's well but, worth it. Wait, and yeah, I think that honestly having a support system in you guys has been the difference in having a relationship with the Lord for myself, you know, is as well very key and essential in staying in the faith when sometimes the world looks appealing, you know? Mm-hmm. So thanks again, Amma. Sure enough. Alrighty, so we are talking about patience today and we're just going to go ahead and get into it. So patience, we look at the Greek word macrothumia and it's comprised from two words the first word is macros which is translated into the word long and the second part is thumos which is translated into passion or temper so the definition of macrothumia if you look at it is patience forbearance long suffering slowness in avenging wrongs having or showing patience in spite of troubles especially those caused by other people so when I look at patience, I think of something that is practice in a relationship, is practice as we go about our daily walk with other people. What are some other ways that we display patience outside of relationships? I think life is actually just comprised of relationships. So you think your relationship to maybe your family, your relationship to work, your relationship to the Lord, because mm-hmm. without people and without desires there's no need for patience so I think it, it's expressed in relationship and that really is where else do you practice it if it's not relation to sure. something yeah I agree with that okay so what we're going to just focus on just an aspect of relationships then for the fruit of the spirit patience and a verse for me that often pops up when I think of patience um, is Psalm 103 verse 8 and it reads, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Let me say, hey, that has nothing, where's the word patience in this? But we know that patience, one, is translated into slowness and avenging wrongs. God is slow to anger. And that is something that is key evident of the Lord's patience with us. He's compassionate, one, you know, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in love. And love, we know, is the fruit of the Spirit. And, you know, it's probably one of the greatest gifts that we are given by God himself. 
So that's one thing that comes to mind for me when I think of patience, biblically speaking. You know, I found an interesting passage, Nahum 1, 1 through 6, and I want to read it for you guys, and I want to get your thoughts on it, Amma. And it says here, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is fierce in wrath. The Lord takes vengeance against his foes. He is furious with his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. His past is in the whirlwind and storm, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up, and he makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither, even the flowers of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his burning anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. Even rocks are shattered before Mm. him. Mm. And the part of this, you know, that I wanted to kind of draw our attention to is verse 3, where it says, The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. But it also goes on, The Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. And I wanted to address this part because I think in Christianity, it's easy for those who don't, you know, understand understand the scripture. That goes for us believers sometimes. And it's also easy for those who don't, who aren't in the faith to say, okay, well, how is God, you know, known as love? Yet, he's also known as this vengeful God who's coming out to smite everyone, you know? Like, how is that possible? And we as Christians say, okay, where is a paradox, you know, like, it's paradoxical like it's they're both right god is love he is the very essence of it therefore he can be patient he is slow to anger you know but he is holy he is set apart and that means that he, there is a standard that he he lives up to just because of who he is you know i wanted to get your thoughts on that verse Amma, because i know you have a lot of insight when it comes to these type of things, and I just wanted to hear what you have to say about it. All right. So we're talking about Nahum 1, verse 3. I'm going to read it again just for my own mind. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. So originally, this passage made me think of Second Peter 3, 9. When it says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the first time I heard that that was the verse that like triggered that was triggered in my spirit that was reminded to me or brought to my remembrance. Mm-hmm. Um he's slow to anger so we can repent. But what I see here like as he's reading it the lord is not slow to anger but great in power and i see the contrast of that because how many people do we know who we interpret their patience as weakness do we interpret you're just the nice guy and you're just like when people are kind when people are maybe more soft-spoken more genteel um we take their kindness as weakness culturally okay mm-hmm. where but what they're saying is do not mistake the slowness of God. Do not mistake the kindness of God because mm-hmm. he is great in power. So I see that they're showing two facets of the God that we serve, the God that we love. 
and it even explains a problem that a lot of um, people who are questioning the Christian faith have a problem with. There's this, always this question of what does God do with evil? Why is there so much evil in the world? And I want to bring the point that right here he's answering that question. The reason that mm. evil is like at an all-time high, we're seeing people killed, we're seeing wars, we're seeing all these things, and the reason God has not moved to end it is because he is waiting and giving every single person a chance to repent. Every single person. Mm-hmm. And that might not set well with you. And if it doesn't, I might even add that there's there might be a little element of pride where you think that somehow your sin is smaller or your mm-hmm. sin is worth less punishment. But all the sin put God on the cross. In Jonah, he says to Jonah, who doesn't want to preach the word of salvation to the Ninevites because they're evil, and God questions Jonah, and he says to him, what do you care if they die? You did not make them. So again, we so in that question, we see the love of God for his people, so much so that he gives them chance upon chance upon chance upon chance upon chance upon chance to repent. But there will be a day where he rises up and ends them all. And it's not an end that you would wish on your worst enemy, even though sometimes we say go to hell or it's in our hearts when we're angry, but... The the reality of hell, when you consider being in a godless eternity forever, is not something you would wish on your worst enemy, and it is not something that God wishes on humanity, which is why he is patient, which is why he sent Jesus, and which is why we wait. That's why we don't question, because we see, and we know because he's saying it right here, I'm slow to anger, but great in power, and there will be a day. He does yeah. not delight in the death of the wicked. He says that as well. So his patience is because he wants his children to turn back. And that's just kind of my perspective from that verse. I love it. Um, you brought up a good point, And this is kind of off topic, but I kind of want to talk about it a little bit. You said that God wishes that no one goes to hell. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. But Amma, why would God, why does God send people to hell then if he doesn't wish that? anyone go to hell for every action there is a consequence god has ordained laws and there's cause and effect when you break the law Mm -hmm. there's a consequence so every human he is given will every human he is given choice he says to adam and eve do not eat the fruit for when you do you will surely die so whenever god gives like a directive from the very beginning, we see that to disobey a directive equals death. So up right front, mm-hmm. we know what disobedience um, earns us. The wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve, you will surely die. So I, I argue that God doesn't send anyone to hell. It is the choice mm-hmm. to not accept the gift of salvation for whatever reasons that you believe are acceptable. So some mm-hmm. people would say, well, I just don't want to follow God because I don't like being told what to do. Or some people will say, isn't everyone going to get to heaven anyway? Or some people say, I'm a good person. But if we believe that God is who he says he is, and that what he requires is what will stand with you as believers, then it's not him sending me because he made a way for me to not go. Don't like he, he provided salvation. So you can never say God sends people to hell because he provided a way out. We choose to not accept the only way, which is Jesus. True. Ah, that's so true. That kind of takes me to um, 
first Corinthians um, chapter one, like how we, you know, we try to explain God away and we often in our wisdom, we have become fools, you know, mm. and the wise say they don't have a need for God, you know, mm-hmm. um, let me see if I can find a verse. Okay, so in 1 Corinthians 1, um, starting in chapter 18, it talks about Christ crucified is God's power and wisdom. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligence I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So what you said just brought me back to this passage in 1 Corinthians, which I've actually been stuck on for the past couple of months. And I'm just starting to study again. And I'm just thinking, like, God, we often try to make ourselves so wise that we try to, you know, explain you away. We try to say, well, there is no need for God anymore. We have science. You know, there is no need for God anymore. We have philosophy. There is no need for God anymore because we have education. God is the God of science. Without him, none of the scientific laws would exist, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people don't realize, like, creation points to a creator, like all of it points to a divine creator. There's no possible way you can convince me that the human body as intricate and as detailed as it is, although it may fail at times because we live in a fallen world, granted, not because God designed it flawed. God designed it. You know, you can't tell me that there's not a designer behind all of this. It works all too well. The universe works too well for this to be a happenstance. And we look foolish when we try to explain away God by our worldly philosophies. Mm-hmm. And I know that's kind of a, we went on kind of a long tangent there off of the topic. <laughs> but, you know, I but think these are important things to address. When we do that, that's the thing. Like people live and how, like how many ages of men have we seen? How many people, like that's how they live their life. And I work in the science mm-hmm. field, guys. I'm an ER nurse. I function among people who would consider themselves there's like artistic people or more carefree or hippies and that personality mm-hmm. I would see be like oh you know what there are people who generally when I've met them this isn't a, this is a generalization so for those of you who are outliers I'm not labeling anyone just my experience they're the more the attitude that says free love we don't need boundaries it's okay mm-hmm. and then you come into science and they're the people who might say, who would live their life on the, the worldview that, like, I, evidence, 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 I need evidence. Mm-hmm. But what was my original point with all that comment? Like, God's patient, and he, he reveals himself to every, to every person, to every kind of person, 
and he will reveal himself to you if you have those kind of questions. I think that's a good transition to kind of um, how I want to approach patience. Patience is grown in affliction. Mm. And, you know, we look at some of the most popular stories in the Bible. One that comes to mind for me is Joseph. And he was put in prison for things. Well, first of all, he was sold into slavery by his brothers, right? And then, you know, he's put into prison later on for being falsely accused of something that he didn't do. And he was in prison for years, patiently waiting, you know, for God to use him ultimately to save the Israelites. Like, that is God working, and God using someone patience sitting in prison for years to ultimately be a part of God's plan to, to save his people from famine. And, you know, I think that that's kind of like written into the narrative of scripture. A lot of places we look, can you think of any examples like off the top of your head, Amma? Um, I think of Abraham. Mm, I think of Jesus himself, I think of Paul, like anytime mm-hmm. God calls you somewhere and he gives you like a foreshadowing. Yeah. Because Joseph had the prophecy, he had those dreams that he would have where I was, I saw, I was up in the sky, the sun and moon and there were 11 stars surrounded me or the sheaves of wheat, they bowed to me. Mm-hmm. Um, God appeared to Abraham and promises him a son. God calls Paul and yet he doesn't go on his first missionary journey to like 13 years later or something crazy there's always this process of the calling and the spent preparing you for what you've been called to yeah we kind of talked about this the other day and um, how I brought up the fact that everyone wants to be at the end you know Mm -hmm. but no one wants to be in that middle awkward stage I, I I told you I think that we're both kind of in that middle awkward stage of life where we're like all right well I want to do something great for God you know I want to do something big and make a difference in the world and we want to skip you know that where we are (laughs) basically and you know I would encourage everyone who is feeling that that draw to like just be something great know that you already are great in God's eyes you know you are made in God's image I think that's a really good segue to one of the verses that I felt led to share it's from Lamentations 3. I'm going to take a minute and flip there. So it's Lamentations 3. It's 24 to 26. And the background for Lamentations, Israel or Judah, they're in exile. Everything is going wrong. This mm-hmm. whole book just paints like all the grief. If you start in the beginning of chapter 3, he's saying, I remember my affliction and my wandering. I, I remember them well. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. Like, so he's in this dark place. And then he says, yet this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation 
of the Lord. And so the verse that I want to focus here is, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. So Christian is talking about just when you want to get there, when you're sick of what feels mundane, when you want to be important, when you want to be able to prove usually to yourself or to others, yourself and others, mm-hmm. that your life matters, that you've done something of consequence. It brings to me the question of, like, where do, how do I define my worth? Yeah. And it's a it's a question of conviction that like I'm still like I still have to I wrestle with that because you, you do all the ordinary things and you're like God is this all there is to life and kind of the answer yes because even when you get to the top of whatever you're gonna do you still have to feed yourself wash your clothes take care of your family like it it doesn't change the the basic responsibilities the, the basic faithfulness required to live yeah in love with God so my my point out of this verse would be the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. And I cross-referenced that where I used the lexicon to kind of see the Hebrew word. And it comes from a word I cannot say. C-H-E-L-E-Q. C-H-E-L-E-Q. Shelech. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, the idea of portion is the Lord is my inheritance. The Lord is my reward. The Lord Amen. is my territory. When you believe that the Lord is your territory, what it is that you accomplish as a means of validation, that's normally the reason I find in myself that I want to accomplish great things. It's not because... Like, God, I just want it. It's something to do with, am I worth something? Have I done mm. something worthwhile? So usually when I am feeling that way, it's because in my heart, in the moment, the Lord is not my portion. Yo, that is so true. And that means that the the sweetest part of the real Christian journey is not necessarily the destination. Yes, we want to get to heaven, but what is heaven but being with God? And can I be with God today? Yes. Can I be with God tomorrow? Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's not a question of, am I worth something because I have accomplished something worthwhile? It's the changing perspective to know that the most worthwhile thing you can do in this life before you serve or accomplish any task is to know Christ. It is to know Christ. Amen. So that brings us back to relationship. I feel like the patience we have to exercise is because it takes so much time to just work that into your soul. For your, so the Lord is my portion, and that's something I'm learning. And because of that, I will wait for Him. I will wait for Him. And there's our patience and saying I could I could go out and I, I think this is something the Lord even spoke to me a couple of days ago. I he has he's put on my heart to live in a specific city in New Jersey. And one of the houses I wanted to buy was bought for, like, dirt cheap. And I was like, God, that's the house I wanted. And just and I started, like, kind of frantically looking online, like, well, what other beautiful homes or what other homes that I would might want to like to have <laughs> still available? Yeah. And just quietly said, like, wait for me. Wait for me. So on this journey, there's the, like, even in that waiting period, I believe – that you don't get to the destination because you're not ready to be there. Like if your life is more about productivity than it is knowing Jesus, having what it is you want to accomplish will destroy you. 
So in that long journey of getting it to where you need to go is the real process of receiving the ultimate reward. And then you know the Lord in that process and he sets you up. And what has changed except he's given you influence that you may glorify him. At least that's the right way to do it. But you yeah. can chase it. You can chase it. And believe you me, you can accomplish it. Accomplish it. But is it is it his plan? So yeah. I think it's starting to wander. But that's just the idea of God being your portion, your worth not being in your productivity, your worth being, and the most valuable thing to do is to know Jesus. And from that place, everything else comes. Seek first the kingdom. Like it's it's the fundament fundamentals of Jesus's message when he was on the earth. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Another part that takes us back to the patience grown in affliction is Romans 8, um, 18 through 30. And it talks about like suffering and the future glory. It all wraps together, you know, like 18 starts. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of those of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have first fruit of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Mm -hmm. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows to the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among the brothers, many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So, you know, the most powerful part, People think, oh, and we know all things. God works together for the good of those who love him and call it according to purpose. This is true. But, you know, I want to take us to, but if we have hope, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And we have a reason to wait for it patiently. We are told that we have the Holy Spirit, which prays and intercedes on our behalf, you know, with groans. Like, there are no words sometimes, you know, for the amount of, like, like anticipation that we have waiting to be with the Lord and waiting to be in glory. But we have a hope once we were saved, you know, and we hope for we're not what we see, but for what is unseen. And, you know, that to me is showing us that this world is not our home. And we may suffer in this life. We may have, you know, discomforts and dislikes and 
bad days, but there is a greater glory that we are anticipating. You know, it says creation groans. We groan. Those of us who have tasted the first fruits of the spirit, you know, we groan in anticipation for that day when we will be with our Lord in glory. I've got a for you. Yeah. What would you say or what is the biggest hmm, opponent or the biggest obstacle mm-hmm. to patience? Like, why aren't we patient? If this is a virtue, if something has to be exercised, the fruit of the spirit, it's the first descriptor of the word love. Why then would aren't we patient? How would you say? Why aren't we patient? Excellent question. I'd like to blame everything on us being millennials. But, you know, honestly, I think that is a big part of it. We live in such a popcorn society where we just throw things in the microwave and our food's done in a minute, you know. Mm. We aren't taught patience early on. Like, we live in a, a world where we can pick up our phones and instantly be in communication with our friends who are halfway around the world. We live in a world where we, you know, we can instantly see, we look at these people on social media and they are seemingly achieving these crazy amounts of success in short amounts of times, we live in a world where that's advertised. Oh, click here and make $20,000 every month in three weeks, you know? Like, <laughs> we just live in a culture that cultivates impatience. Like, hmm. there is no joy in the journey. There's no joy in taking time to build something that is going to last. Hmm. And I think that is why it is hard for us to be patient. That's good. I like what you said about there. there's nothing, they don't talk about the joy of building something that will last. Because the, the proud part isn't while you're doing it. It's when mm-hmm. your house stands because you built it brick by brick and your friend who built their house in the sand, like the parable, <laughs> built your house in the rock, which takes time. Or you can build your house in the sand, you slap it together. Mm-hmm. Or even the three little pigs. One built the house of brick, but they did fast work with the wood and the straw and who's who stood. So patience, the beauty of patience is when, when the when the trial comes at, or even when the trial is over, and you're looking at a job well done. So it's painful. It's like working out. Yeah. Right. It doesn't feel good, but when you go through, you're like, "Yo, I'm glad I did that." Yeah. Yeah. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in par- in prayer. You know, um, Romans twelve twelve and joyful and hope what hope we have hope of a future of christ you know but we also have promises that god promised us while we're here right we have hope that goes Mm. beyond you know this world yes but we have hope while we are living and we're to be joyful in it we're to be patient in our affliction and affliction doesn't always look like someone pulling off your nails by one one by one (laughs) you know affliction is in little things in our everyday life, like, you know, we're to mm-hmm. be patient with our brothers and sisters that may be picking on us and getting on our last nerve. We're to be patient with our supervisors that may, you know, micromanage us. We are to be patient with ourselves for crying out loud when we mess up and we don't want to be patient with ourselves because we don't be seeing, we don't seem to be getting it. Like mm-hmm. we are called to be patient in affliction and we're called to be faithful in prayer. And I think prayer is very key to growing patience because what is prayer? Prayer is nothing but talking to God. 
prayer is our main method of speaking to the Father. And when our prayer lives are, you know, strong, we're venting to God, right? We're taking our request and we're taking our worries and our, our stresses to the Father and we're laying them at his feet. And, you know, I'm talking to myself because sometimes my prayer life is like, blah. But we are to be faithful in that prayer life because God hears us mm. and he wants communication with us. And he wants mm. to be able to help us to grow in our patience. And it's given. It's given. It's there. You know, it's a fruit of the spirit. So if you are born of the spirit, it's already there. You know, so that's just my little rant on that, like. I think that was a good question you brought up, though. I'd like to add to what you said about being faithful in prayer and communication to the Lord. So, we, yes, we want to bring our requests, but I just want to add the picture of when we come to pray, mm-hmm. it, it's communication, but it's two-way. So there's a verse that I wanted to share out of Psalm 27, and it says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And so you were talking about how the Spirit is praying for you with groanings that words cannot express, Mm -hmm. um, how the Lord sustains you, and it's a fruit of the Spirit. Um, So I guess to answer the question that I posed, why are we not patient? And I think of this especially with the big dreams. When I think of people with, like, marriages that I see falling apart and we're not even 30 or people who are have dreams burning in their hearts and they don't know what to happen if I had to answer the question of why aren't we patient it has to do in the way I would answer it one of the perspectives is we're not patient because we don't believe mm. we're not patient because we we don't have the end in mind so belief would look like when I want to get married and when the Lord has not told me, like the Bible says not no sex before marriage, belief says I have, I have desires for sex. I'm a human. I have desires for love and marriage. I'm a human. But God has said, and in his time, he will provide. And so I will wait. To wait, you have to be believing that God will do what he says he will do and that God is who he says he is. And without without God being who he is, patience is meaningless. Because waiting for what? Enduring suffering for what? Why? Because God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. And so if he has promised you something, if he has given you that vision like Abraham where he's promised you a child and maybe you've had miscarriages, if he has given you a dream like Joseph where you see yourself bleeding and you're like, how am I going to get there? If Mm -hmm. he's, he's put these dreams in your heart, be faithful in belief because he will do what he says he will do. And I'd like just to contrast Abraham and Joseph. So Abraham, the Lord calls Abraham and he calls him at 75. Sarah, his wife, says, Abraham, the Lord has done this thing to me and I can't have kids. Take Hagar, take her, sleep with her, build the family through her. Um, so he does. He has Ishmael. Mm-hmm. God blesses Ishmael with as in fruitfulness, meaning he multiplies and creates a nation. But the kind of man that Ishmael is, 
is a donkey of a man, and he lives in hostility with all his brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, so this impatience stemmed from unbelief. And why I want to point out the unbelief is it's when Sarah says, God has done this to me. And in that statement of God is not going to provide, I must have heard wrong. This isn't looking like it's going to be. Yeah. It's not turning out. So obviously, I've got to figure this out for myself. What are we going to do? Up, oh, Hagar, that's it. That's how I'm going to do this. So there's this measure of how the passing of time can stir unbelief. But what marks patience is when that spirit of evil comes to speak to you and says, does God really say? Because he said it to Eve. He obviously whispered it to Sarah because God spoke to Abraham. Yes. And in that after 10 years of waiting, she's like, no, I don't even know if God really said that. And she even goes so far as to say, God has done this to me. God has kept me from conceiving. And in that unbelief, it's an error that's still plaguing the world. And I don't even think they knew how bad it was going to be for everyone else. True. Because Abraham asked God to bless Ishmael, and he does. Yeah. Right there was that moment of unbelief, and look what it cost them. And I, I'm sure they didn't know the ramifications of it, even the way they didn't see Isaac become a great nation. Yeah. That takes back to the point you said very early on, like, there are consequences for every action. Right. Right. You know, that's something that's very real. Right. So in in the waiting, hold on to who God says he is. So then we can look at Joseph, mm-hmm. who is sold by his brothers, so betrayed by family, mm-hmm. sold as a slave, but the Lord is with him, and so he prospers in everything he does. He gets hit on by his boss's wife, and what does he do? He honors the Lord. How could I do such a thing and sin against the Lord? And he runs. And what happens to him for doing what's right? For doing what's right. Hear me. For doing what is right. He goes to prison. Mm. And what happens in prison? Again, the Lord is with him. And he favors him. And he's elevated. And he accumulates responsibility and influence in prison. And he interprets dreams. And he interprets those two people's dreams. The cupbearer and the baker. Mm-hmm. In Joseph's story, you don't see any wavering of belief. And you even say, see it get darker in the face of righteousness. Like, mm-hmm. Joseph did not sleep with Potiphar's wife, and he went to jail anyway. And he stayed there, and the cupbearer is supposed to remember him, and he doesn't until two years after he gets out. Like, But he was faithful. Yeah. He was faithful. He believed God is who he says he is. He believed God would do what he said he would do. Hmm. And that's the mo- that's the beautiful part of the story, right, guys? Like, when we, when you watch a movie, what makes the hero so awesome is what he endures. It's not what he gets. It's what he endures to get there. Yes. That's like um in Genesis 29. Was it, who was it that worked for seven years for his wife? Um... Uh, Jacob. Jacob, thank you. You know how we work for seven years to be with his bride, um, to be to be with Rachel, right? And mm-hmm. he's not even giving Rachel because she's not the oldest. So he's giving the oldest daughter first, and he works another seven years to be with the one he loves. But to him, those seven years were like days, you know, because he loved her, and he was patient. But he had so much joy knowing that at the end of those seven right. years. Plus I, seven years, yeah. I will be with my love. 
Amen. Yes. Uh, that That's what helps you endure is eye on the prize. Yeah. Eye on the I- prize. I was going to ask that question, like, near the end. Like, I think we should kind of maybe we can segue into it now. Like, in this generation or this time of, you know, this microwave culture of success, this microwave culture of being impatient, of, you know, instant gratification, how do we get to patience? You know, how do we practically get to patience? And I think we just answered one of that. Like, the first thing is keep your eye on the prize, you know? Like, keep your eyes on the end game. Mm-hmm. For us believers, you know? Lord, yeah. Jesus, when he sets out the example of patience, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Amen. Mm. That preach. Uh, Galatians 6. Let us not lose heart <laughs> in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Amen. And then what's the other verse? Um, ah, the verse that talks about um, the race is not given to the swift nor the fast, but to the one endures. The one who endures. There you go. And that, you know, that's talking about salvation, right? Am I talking about? Am I, am I taking that out of context? No, that's talking about like winning the crown of life. Like when you run your race, it's not like the fastest who get there. Yeah. And and we see that. Like there's people we used to pray with in college mm-hmm. who are now propagating things in direct offense to scripture. And I'm going to say it out loud. God loves us all, but he has righteous demands. And I will speak it out clearly. We watch people who were walking next to us, walking beside us, living in the way. And five years later, they're nowhere, and everything that you thought they stood for is, like, shot to you nowhere. Yeah. That's part of the reason why I wanted to start the podcast, because just seeing people walk away from, you know, the truth or from sound doctrine or from God, you know, just, it just hardened me. And it's like, it's lonely out here. It is hard. It is lonely in these cold streets. It's hard <laughs> out here for a pimp, you know? <laughs> It is. And it's so it's so discouraging, especially when you live in, you know, such um like educated populations such as the DC metro area where I live, where everyone is a doctor or a lawyer or they have advanced degrees and you know, we're all prestigious, you know, and it's like there's no need for God almost, you know? Mm. And I'm like, I want to know I want to always have a need for Christ. And I've come to the conclusion that, you know, salvation is not something that we obtain on our own. It's a gift of God. Yes, don't misquote me. I know that salvation is a gift of God. But getting to eternity, it takes a, it takes a village, you know? Mm. Like, it's important to encourage each other. It's important to be around like-minded believers. Because if you're the lone wolf, it's easy to have your, your mind change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, facts. It is. And I find myself at times wanting to compromise and like, oh, yeah, maybe I don't believe that the Bible says that. Maybe maybe it was wrong when it said that. But yeah. that's nothing but the devil. Like, oh. he's the great deceiver. He's come to deceive the world. And we have to, even more now than ever, make sure that we are stirring each other in the truth and in mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. And we okay. remind each other of what scripture teaches and we are loving the world because you know how are they going to come to christ if we don't show them the love of christ 
and the love of Christ is not accepting their sin as right. Correct. And that's something that I struggle with sometimes. Like, okay, well, if we love them, we'll just let them do their thing. We'll leave them alone. Nah. Nah, we will not. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. What you're doing is wrong. And you are offending a holy God. And because I love you, I'm going to tell you. Yes. Because I love you, I will correct you. Yes. I heard someone say once, the most unloving, if, if what we believe about Christianity is true, if we believe that God is going to judge the world, that those who do not repent are going to go to hell, then the most unloving thing you can do is act like they're okay. Guilty. You know? It's, it is the most unloving thing, and I think all of us are guilty of it at one point or another. Praise God for his forgiveness. Yes, and for his grace, because he, he takes us there. Yeah, he does. And he even puts the willingness in your own heart if you ask for it. Like, David prayed, it, give me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen. Amen. I'm learning that God, you know, like, there's so many sacred things within our faith that we just don't revere. Or give its, you know, its proper place in life. And I think that that's probably where a lot of the falling away starts. Not having a a proper perspective of certain things. Hmm. So, ooh, let's, let's, there's a verse in Hebrews that when you were talking came to me. And it's from Hebrews 3, verse 12. And it's, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart Hmm. that turns away from the living God. So this is going to touch two parts of what you were speaking. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. So there we have that theme of patience. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the parts that you were talking about, like what makes us fall away, it's written right here. A sinful heart. And an unbelieving heart. And I would counter that a sinful heart yields an unbelieving heart. It says so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So yeah. what what you consume, you will become. It's like this, your favorite song. You listen to it all the time. It plays in the back of your head. Your jokes start becoming from the TV shows that you watch. Mm-hmm. You start acting like the friends that you're around. So we know that what you consume, what you surround yourself with is who you will be. So if you want to become more like Christ, you need to be in the word, in his presence, in prayer, and around people who love him. And in that process of yielding yourself to him, he cleanses you. And as he cleanses you, like faith comes from hearing the word. So as, as you enter that process of being with Christ and being with the brethren, the, the body of believers, your believing heart grows. Mm. I praise God that right now I believe in him more than I did at 17, but I praise God. And as I continue on this journey that by God and by his grace, I will believe in him more and I will love him more in the next 10 years than I have in the last. That's my prayer for you as well. And for me and for all of us, you know, who are contending with our faith and fighting the fight of faith. So yeah, back to, Gaining patience, how do we get to that point? We want to add anything else to that point, Alma? Do you have anything else? How do we get to the point of patience? You know, obviously we talk about the context of relationship and that's where we're, we've been speaking of this whole time. And we want to ultimately answer the question, what does patient, patient look like in everyday life for a believer? 
It looks like a lot of things, and I believe it starts with knowing God and his promises. Because like we said earlier, you can't be patient for something that you, you can't be patient if you don't know what you're expecting. Mm -hmm. Like we're not patient for nothing. We're patient because we believe in reward. We're patient because we know our patience is producing good character qualities. So if you don't even, if you don't know what patience produces, if you don't know what God has promised to the patient, if you don't know those things, that's where you begin. You begin in the word and ask God to reveal himself. Because yep. I'm sure not going to endure something horrible if that's just for the sake of pain. That's sadistic. Yeah. I endure because I've been given a promise. I'm waiting for a spouse because God's promised me one. And there's been people along the way that I could have settled for, but I know they're not the one he's promised. So I wait. Like, I'm waiting to buy a house because God has put that dream in my heart. And I could go out and get one, but it's not his time. So there's yeah. all these things. It comes to what he's doing in your life, what he's doing in your world, what he's doing in your family. But ultimately, to build patience, you have to know God and his promises to the children of God before the promises ever become personal enough Amen. to be like all on your life. Amen. Sometimes he calls you at the same time like Paul. Like, Paul, he blinds him. I'm going to show you how much you will suffer for my name. You're going to do this. Like, I don't in saying that. But when God reveals himself and when he comes to you in his word, like, that's where you begin. Amen. With knowing that we've been promised heaven, we've been promised an inheritance while on earth of the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit and the work of the spirit in our life. Yeah. And moments where it's like, this isn't worth it. You hold on to the word because you believe that God is who he says he is. And that's faith right there. Holding on to a belief that is not always seen because you're sure of what you hope for and you are certain of what you do not see. Amen. That makes me think of the fact that patience or impatience is rooted in sin. You know, all the opposite of what the fruit of the spirits are is mm. sin. So when we are treasuring God and we are delighting in God, it cultivates the fruits of the spirit. It cultivates yeah. everything that we need to live successfully according to the word. And what comes to mind is Psalms 119, 11, how he delights in the laws of God. In 11, 119, 11, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Mm -hmm. So I would say patience, just to kind of expound on what you said, is cultivated when we delight in the word of God, when we hide God's word in our heart by reading it, by meditating on it, by studying the scripture so that we might not sin against God. So that we can have patience, you know, in affliction. Amen. I'm encouraged. Amen. Hey, 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 I think we just answered the question. I'm satisfied with that answer. Yeah. Eyes on the prize. Eyes on the prize. But Eyes. you have to know what the prize is, and that comes from the word. Amen. So, getting your words, people. Amen. <laughs> That's the point of this podcast. Let's all get in the word and we want to hear, you know, your feedback. Um, I want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear your contribution to this conversation. So please comment on whatever medium you're listening. Um, iTunes, preferable. Anchor is cool. Wherever you listen to the podcast, go ahead and comment or message me on Instagram. My, my Instagram account will be linked to the description.
I want to hear you guys' opinion, and let's encourage each other like we're called to do. Amen. Amen. Thanks for letting me share, Christian. Thank you so much. Um, I'm so glad you were able to join. You guys, Amma is one of my closest friends, and she's amazing. So She's also an artist. She didn't mention that, but she's an amazing painter. <laughs> and I want to just say that she's awesome because her artwork is legitimately beautiful. Oh, thanks. So. Yes. I'm I'm just waiting for my next painting. <laughs> <laughs> After a show or two. We'll see. All right, cool. Cool. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, we're gonna wrap it up now since I feel like we've actually answered our question. The next episode, we're gonna talk about kindness. Nice. So join us next time. Mm-hmm.